I believe that it is always a blessing to gather in the house of God with the people of God. Let me just soak it in for a moment as I sense great power in the room because you are here. We're beginning a new series, Believe in Miracles. But I want to pause for a moment because I just feel like I need to and thank those in the music ministry here at Providence Church so faithfully as they lead us into the very presence of God through music and song and singing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we know you are stirring around in the neighborhood. So would you speak through your servant tonight? Please, sir Jesus, amen. I hope you have not missed the extraordinary announcement in John 1, 14. It sits at the center of our year-long nine-month study of the gospel. In case you missed it in the last three weeks, let me repeat it now. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of truth. My brothers and sisters, there are times in the study of the Bible that the text is so full of meaning that it causes us to sit and ponder its deeper truth. I believe John 1.14 is such a place. Sit with it when you can. Stir around in that one verse for a while. Pray my favorite prayer as you sit before the word. My favorite prayer is just this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Here's a surprise. Consider this a homework assignment. I'll be checking. I love the paraphrase of the text offered by Eugene Peterson in the message because I believe it helps to illuminate the text for those who read it today. You have heard a segment of the paraphrase during worship for three consecutive weeks now. In case you missed it, listen again. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Oh, sit with it for another minute. Let it marinate in your soul and in your spirit. This Jesus, who we call Christ, moves into the neighborhood. He is not simply a divine observer. He gets into the stuff, the nitty-gritty of humanity. This Jesus gets into our business and leaves no stone unturned. In John's gospel, it's clear, we get a clear sense that Jesus is involved in the neighborhood. Allow me to press my claim a bit. He invited people in the neighborhood to follow him. He called Andrew to follow him. Andrew, in turn, found his brother Simon. He found Philip in the neighborhood, and Philip, in turn, found Nathaniel. 
In the neighborhood, he attends a wedding at his mother's request, and his mother's request turns water to wine. In the neighborhood, he clears out the temple. In the neighborhood of night, he met Nicodemus and invites him to be born again. In the neighborhood of Samaria, he meets a woman at a well and reveals that he is the Christ. Again, back in the neighborhood of Cana of Galilee, he responded to the pleas of a desperate dad who spoke, and then he spoke a word of healing that touched a sick son miles away in Capernaum. In the neighborhood of Bethsaida, he met a man who had been sick for 38 years, and he helped him take authority over his paralysis and be healed. Let us be clear that John is clear that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, he disrupts the status quo. He challenges long-held beliefs and practices, and he confronts authority. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, things change. They do not remain the same. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, people often don't understand what he is doing and why. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, he makes comfortable people uncomfortable. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, Othering diminishes and community is enlarged. I could stay right there. There's a lot of othering going on right now. But when Jesus is in the neighborhood, othering diminishes and community is enlarged. When Jesus moves into the neighborhood, generosity breaks open, Pastor Jacob. Christmas offering. $317,000 out these doors in mission and ministry. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, generosity breaks open. Jesus creates friends and family because he is in the neighborhood. You see, the neighborhood is a place where Jesus heals. In the neighborhood with Jesus, we find repeated invitations to believe in miracles. This brings me to my focus today. The first miracle of Jesus is recorded in John chapter 2. It might surprise you. It certainly surprises me that this is the first miracle. Let's hear it. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of the water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, 
of the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best to last, to now. What Jesus did here in Canaan and Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and they stayed for a few days. I like the Jesus we meet in this story because it's clear to me that he enjoyed a party. So do I. I suspect some of you do too. I like this Jesus because it appears that he's not afraid to have a good time. Neither am I. I like this Jesus because he valued the companionship of his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and he traveled with them. He was not a recluse. Neither am I. I like this Jesus. The one we meet in this story because he's smart enough not to tell his mother no. I know from personal experience what a growing edge that can be. So many conversations with my mother. When I was determined that we would do it another way, and she had a trademark way of letting me know that she heard me, but she didn't hear me, and it would happen her way anyway. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm talking to mom, and she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> She'd do that a few times, and I knew in the mm-hmm that my opinion would not prevail. You see, Jesus' inclination was to deny his mother's request but better judgment set in. Some mothers ought to say amen. <laughs> his mother ignored his reluctance. Maybe she said, mm-hmm. She stepped up at a point of need. The wine had run out, and the party was in jeopardy. His mother seemingly understood the, that the party, she understood the protocols and the rules of the party. There was no party without the wine as a symbol of spirit. The wine should never run out. Therefore, she ignored her son's reluctance. Mm -hmm. She told the servants to do whatever Jesus said. It's a Jesus said, fill the stone jars with water. Jesus said, draw some of it out and take it to the sommelier. That's who's in the story. The one who knew about wine, he could look at it and see something different. He could smell it and know something was different. He tasted it and he knew something was different about the wine. It was a disruption. This this story gets pretty heady and hard to understand. I've wondered, and I'm still wondering, why the first sign 
recorded in John's gospel is the Lord of the church taking water and making an alcoholic beverage. I don't have a clear answer. And so when I'm not clear, sometimes I, I look for help other places. At home in my library, I turn to volume 29 of the Anchor Bible Commentary by John. You don't have to remember that. It's by Raymond Brown, the professor of biblical studies at Union Theological Seminary. It's not my usual reading. The two volumes on John, I weighed them this week. They weigh four and a half pounds and they're four and a half inches thick. It was a gift to me upon my ordination as elder in the United Methodist Church by a mentor and friend in ministry. He considered it the definitive commentary on John. And to use sort of fancy language, he was a Johannine scholar. He must have known that I would need that two-volume commentary one day. I pause to thank the late Reverend Dr. Henry Woodruff for the gift. But I will confess, I think it's the first time I picked up the two-volume set. Raymond Brown points to some of the, the symbolism and the nuances in the text, and I don't want you to miss it because I was tempted to miss it. He highlights that the wedding took place on the third day. He points out that Canaan is only referenced in John's gospel. He notes that the phrase mother of X, it's an honorific term to refer to a woman who was fortunate enough to bear a son. In John's gospel, Mary is only referred to as the mother of Jesus. He compares having no wine to having nothing to eat, those nothing to eat stories of Jesus. Then he points out that the phrase, my hour has not come, it's positioned along Jesus saying later in chapter 12, the hour has not come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Six stone jars as a symbol of imperfection. In need of another jar, Jesus, to make seven and perfection. Wine as a symbol of the presence of God likened to communion. Dr. Woodrow, thank you, sir. Understanding the symbolism and the nuances of these verses fully is for another day. I simply want you to understand the miracle that takes place when Jesus joins the party. What is a miracle? I've wondered how to define a miracle. The truth is this. In this new world that we live in, I'm a work-at-home kind of guy. I'm in a, front of a computer all day. And to tell the truth, is wearing me out, but it is a place of blessing. I was taking a break in the midst of my work day recently, working out at home in my home, office, gym, study, lunchroom, all day space, man cave. It doubles for all of that. 
The TV was on. Now, please don't judge me. Men in Black 3 with, with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones was playing in the background. I said, don't judge me. I stopped my dumbbell overhead lift. I was in the middle of my dumbbell overhead lift. Can you tell that I've been dumbbell overhead lifting? I stopped my lifting when I heard Griffin, a character in Men in Black 3, say this. The question was asked, Griffin, how do you define a miracle? And he said, a miracle is what seems impossible but happens anyway. The TV was on in the background. I was stirring around early around this text, worried about how do I make my claim around a miracle? And it came from bad science fiction. <laughs> but I knew in the moment that I could not dismiss the word. A miracle is what seems impossible, but what happens anyway. Some of the men in the room here right now are thinking it's a miracle that she married me. <laughs> Some of the women I saw a hand go over to a, a, a wife just there a moment ago. I hope some of the women are thinking that it is a miracle that he married them too. Some of you are thinking it is a miracle that trouble did not consume me. Some of you are thinking that it is a miracle that my marriage survived. It was a miracle that I got that job. It was a miracle that your addictions did not kill you. It was a miracle that you passed the test. It was a miracle that the college accepted you. It was a miracle that you got the coveted part. It was a miracle that you had children. It was a miracle that you did not get caught. You fill in the blank. Some of you are still thinking it was a miracle that the Rams won the Super Bowl. Some of you are still thinking it was a miracle because your list is so long. The Gospel of John invites us to believe in miracles. John wants us to know that what seems impossible can happen anyway. Jesus gives us a sign when he turns water into wine. It does not mean that we get everything we want. But Jesus wants us to know that when Jesus is in the neighborhood, things happen, even unexplainable things. Oh, I need to testify for a moment. I'm remembering Nan now. Years ago, I was called to Nan's dying bed in her home. She was dying. The doctors announced she was dying. Nan left her dying bed and went to hospice for about a year. Then she left hospice and went to independent living. Everybody marveled. They'd never seen it before. She did all of that. What seemed impossible was possible. I remember... Some years ago when the doctor told me 
I would be on a prescribed drug for a rare blood disorder. It was the first cousin to leukemia, a benign illness, but the first cousin. And he said, you'll be taking this medication the rest of your life. I testify tonight that it's been 20 years now since I've had any medication or any evidence that something was ever even wrong. What seems impossible is possible. Final testimony. I'm remembering Laverne. It's interesting as I remember Laverne because I got a message just before coming here that Laverne died in Cleveland, Ohio, just Saturday. Didn't know that. But I, I remember when Laverne stood over her husband's hospital bed just prior to a critical and emergency heart surgery. Unplanned, unanticipated, it was a perilous moment. We did not know if her husband would live. I could see Laverne now as she drew him close, and I heard what she said, and she said, anything you think you may not have, anything you think you may not believe about Jesus, I need you to believe it now. He survived. There are so many miracles that I cannot explain. So many miracles that we cannot explain without the acknowledgement that Jesus was in the midst. Jesus was in the neighborhood. I believe the letter Written to the Ephesians echoes a similar sentiment. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever ask or imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. I'll make a confession here. I'm very aware of how much music shapes me and shapes us theologically. By that I mean how music shapes how we understand God. Some of us, are, probably most of us, are better musical theologians than biblical theologians. But the Clark sisters had a song some years ago. You can still find it. The title of it is, I'm Looking for a Miracle. Yeah. And they say, expect the impossible. They sing, feel the intangible. See the invisible. Then they sing, the sky is the limit to what I can have. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In this truth lies a miracle. When Jesus is in the neighborhood, what seems impossible happens anyway. When Jesus joins the party, miracles happen. Let me use a, a, a real estate metaphor now. The neighborhood appreciates when Jesus is nearby. He is the value added in our community, in our family, in our church, in our lives, because Jesus is a good neighbor. 
his neighbors expect the impossible. His neighbors feel the intangible. His neighbors see the invisible. His neighbors believe in miracles. Who are his neighbors? Well, you are. We are. And the responsibility for spiritual neighboring does not belong solely to Jesus. It belongs to his neighbors too. Each one, reach one until multiplied. Small group and small group and disciple group and disciple group and fellowship group until it multiplies and miracles happen because the community is gathered around the party. His neighbors and friends love a party just like I do. Invite me to your parties, please. I'll come. Miracles happen around food and fellowship. There is laughter. Walls of difference fall down. Community and communion is created. Partygoers feel his presence. Othering finds no place, and welcome is the norm. Conversations change. Watch what happens sometimes when you enter the room. The conversation might change because others know you have been with him. Why does Jesus move into the neighborhood? Why does Jesus join parties? Let me tell you why. He knew the change happens when one is in the neighborhood with people. I hear in my head lyrics from a song now. He left his home in glory. Jesus had to come down from glory to live into the neighborhood of humanity and our experience and all the yuck and stuff. Because he knew that in the neighborhood, there was the possibility for change. Jesus, John shines light on this when he writes, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it in the full. You see, there are malevolent forces in the neighborhood. Said another way, there's some evil stuff. Doesn't mean us good at all. But given that reality, Jesus takes up residence in the neighborhood, so full of stuff, and he leaves no stone unturned that we might have life and have it to the full. I urge you today and for many consecutive Sundays, I urge you to believe in miracles. What seems impossible happens anyway. Don't forget, do your homework. Sit with it. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood.
Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for how you show up, how you move around and you stir around in our midst and you remind us of your presence that you are with us in every place and in every situation. We are thankful for the reminders this day that you left glory to live in the neighborhood, that we might have life and have it to the full, that we might see and live into the reality of miracles and believe that they are possible because of you. So Lord, in the words of disciples long ago, I pray, help our unbelief. We believe in miracles, in Jesus' name. Amen.